Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Happy Thursday morning, boss man. Yo. We are back with our last episode of the year that we're doing together in this format. We have so much to say. We got tons of good feedback from last week's episode, boss man. People are saying we should do the podcast first thing in the morning. We should do the Miracle Morning, and then we should do the TMBA podcast that will make a better podcast. I appreciate the feedback, but I'm not a morning person. (laughs) It was probably a breakout day. It could be the new you. No calls before 9 a.m. Today, we are going to do something of a reflective episode, a year-end reflection, if you will. And we hope at this time of year that you're doing the same productively. This is honestly one of my favorite business times of the year, Ian. One of the things that really inspired me is the last couple of years we've been sending out sort of written total news updates of everything about our brand to our TMBA subscribers. I've been working on that letter today in the spirit of an episode we did this year, with the authors of the wonderful book called Working Backwards. Essentially, the idea is that if you take the time to reflect in writing, talk about your strategies for the next year in writing, the clarity of your thinking will not only be stronger, the justification for your ideas will have less mushy wiggle room, right? This is what I'm saying we should do. And that message and strategy is then transferable onto your team and partners. So that's the spirit of today's episode, Ian. It's a little bit of reflection from us to you. Hopefully you guys are doing the same in your business. A little bit of news here at the top. We talked about DC Scale on this pod. We put up a link in our membership forum, the DC, to say, hey, we're doing this thing in Q1. Who's coming with us? And your Calendly link melted down. I think Calendly servers are officially melted. DC Scale filled up in less than a week. Super cool. Well done, you. First things first, we're going to start a Calendly uh, competitor. <laughs> there's a, it's lacking <laughs> some features I've figured out. Actually, there's a lot out there in terms of competitors. So maybe I'll just switch to something. But uh, we put up the offer in the DC and uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing group of people have reached out to me and self-identified as wanting to be part of this first cohort. So like we're closed basically within like a couple of days. Had a bunch of calls, essentially got to know better a lot of DCers and understand their businesses was really, Dan, honestly impressed with like the level at which people are operating. I was impressed by your impression because you're hard to impress. Let me just say, (laughs) come on. One of my favorite things about running this show over the past 10 years or whatever is every time we put out a different kind of offer, different people come through. Like, And so I'm curious, how would you characterize the types of businesses that came through here? Could you generalize about them? There's a lot of commonalities between the companies that have applied for this program. It's interesting to see where everybody's at. What I'm most surprised about is how well everyone's doing financially, number one, and then how many team members people have, number two. Basically, everybody has like several people working for them and they're doing between six and seven figures, a lot of them well into the seven figures. It's surprising that so many people are doing so well given some of the processes that they have in their business. So... 
It's not to say they don't have any process. Most people have exposure to traction, scaling up some of these different frameworks, but they haven't like fully implemented them in their business. And so they see it as a real opportunity in 2023 to basically tighten up their operations. So I think it's very cool, Dan, to see how well everyone's doing and then how excited everyone is to kind of tighten up their business. Yeah, so we're just going to have some amazing, I think, news and insights and perspective. There's going to be 15 companies, including ours, that are installing these processes in our businesses. We'll see how it all turns out in April in Mexico. We're basically creating small pods of four or five business owners and operators. Cool. And so we're going to get together in January, February, March. Program is going to end in April. And hopefully a lot of these people come meet us at DC, Mexico. Exciting. So a lot more news on that coming down the pike. So before we get to our annual review, some predictions we have, some goals we have for next year, I wanted to share something with you guys and get Ian's reaction to this. I want to share something with you guys I've been thinking a lot about over the past year. It's a famous parable. And I think it has some intrigue in our community. It's called, it's become internet famous in the last decade or so. And I want to read it here at the top. And then I want to respond to it and see what Ian's thoughts are on it as well. So first, I'm going to read the parable of the Mexican fisherman. It reads like this. An American investment banker was at a pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer to catch more fish. The Mexican said that he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of the time? The fisherman said, I sleep late, play a little, play with my kids, take siestas with my wife, stroll through the village in the evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I have a Harvard MBA and could help you. You should spend more time fishing with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. Then with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you could have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor eventually opening your own cannery. You'd control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave the small fishing village and move to Mexico City, then LA, maybe even eventually New York, where you'll run your expanding enterprise. To which the Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will this all take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But then what? Asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce your IPO and become very rich. You'd make millions. The fisherman says, millions? Then what? The American said, then you would retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll in the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. Finn. Okay, that's the <laughs> parable of the Mexican fisherman. I got to bring this up. Ian, this story actually has quite an interesting legacy and something that I find really fascinating. So apparently, the seeds of the story go the whole way back to Plutarch in like the second century AD or something, writing about the stories of great people, conquerors, warlords. People in togas, essentially, were being written about this story was then repurposed and went viral in Germany by an author called Heinrich Boll. 
And the translation I'm reading on Wikipedia is, it's an anecdote on lowering the work ethic. <laughs> but importantly, for the lifestyle business niche, this parable has a viral presence, especially in the blogosphere, where people, they write this and, you know, they all kind of 95% of the people say the same thing, you know, a little bit of wistfulness in their eyes, a little bit of this American has envy for the Mexican and thinks, man, wouldn't it be great if I could be like the Mexican fisherman? We should all be a little bit more like the Mexican fisherman. Like instead of having an MBA, have an actual skill? <laughs> is that where this is going? Classic. It's obvious to everyone reading the parable that they're not going to go be the Mexican fisherman, number one, and that the American Harvard MBA is, heck no, never coming back to that beach. What's going on here? Like, are we supposed to just be like, gentle reminder, embody the Mexican fisherman in non-important ways, but not in any profound way. Right. Meditate before your morning jog and all hands meeting. And the Mexican parable, the parable of the Mexican fisherman really resonates with me because I don't resonate with any of these guys. I don't want to do what the Mexican's doing. I don't want to live that life on the beach where I'm just fishing every day and hanging out. And I also don't want to be the investment banker. Why? There's things like power and autonomy and freedom that matter that aren't quite captured in either of these two stories. And I want to bring you back to a moment, like in 2004, 2005, there was a rumbling, there was an anxiety in our culture that I think is a bit forgotten nowadays. We'll call it the Blackberry generation. There was a little moment in there when people basically started doing knowledge work 12 hours a day instead of eight. And there was a lot of questions about that. Like, man, do, in order to get ahead in my career, do I need to answer emails at 8 p.m. on my Blackberry? And this was like a very live, anxious question. This is the time when like businessmen and women in the airport were like taking calls like up until the second the takeoff was happening. But like five years prior, they were just reading magazines for leisure. Like you go get car and driver at the stand. 100%. And those days have shifted, right? Now we're doing sort of slack and it's more fluid. And a lot of ways these questions have been answered. But part of the reason I think the four-hour work week was such a giant thud in the culture, but it wasn't even the first. It was those ideas were sharpened by this general cultural anxiety of, oh my gosh, like I don't stop work ever anymore. And what does that mean for knowledge work in general? So for me, I know something about the parable of the Mexican fisherman, which is that it was for sure written before this Blackberry generation because these were the two options. And they were the two options that I felt acutely. Number one, F it. I'm going to put on a backpack and go back to perma gap year. And I'm really going to live life. You know, whatever that means, I'm going to go experience freedom, the extremes, everything that this world has to offer me. I'm going to go do that. But I'm going to basically nullify my chances of having a powerful earning potential, of having a powerful career by doing that. It just really felt like a fork. And if you're under the age of insert, I don't know, next generation age, you might not feel this fork at all. I don't know. Send me an email. Is it still a real thing that you feel like there's two clear paths? But there were some rumblings in the woods that there's a third person on the beach, Ian. And those rumblings to me look like Seth Godin. They look like 37 Signals, the founders of Basecamp who were writing about bootstrapping software businesses instead of like going to the valley and doing basically the 15-year IPO thing. 
that the Harvard guy is talking about. Daniel Pink with Free Agent Nation. There was the blogosphere popping up, independent entrepreneurs. And then in 2007, there was a four-hour work week, which kind of pulled it all together and presented the third path as a life script. That's why the four-hour work week is an enduring cultural legacy, not because it was some guy talking about life hacks. It was because everybody felt this cultural anxiety and we had a sense that there was a third way, that you didn't need to be the Harvard MBA going back to New York City and you didn't need to be the beach bum fisherman, subsistence fisherman. You know, also the term lifestyle business has evolved. Back at that time in 2005, a lifestyle business, if you would Google it, it meant you were the Harvard MBA for 10 or 15 years. You sold out early before you hit the 4% roll or whatever. You bought the bar that the Mexican fisherman goes to and you were happy with a subsistence retirement. That's what lifestyle business meant 15 years ago. Now, in 2022, a lifestyle business is derided on some of the most famous business podcasts in the world, not even derided, but said like, yeah, you know, some founders are out there, they just want to make like a couple million, million dollars a year in cash flow, free cash flow. Not very ambitious, but I'm like, you got record scratch, man. Like that sounds amazing. That sounds like a third way. So I was thinking a lot about this the past few weeks, Ian, that I'm just so thankful that this third way existed and it's proven itself. It's come through on your calls through DC Scale this week. It seems like that third way is going to be even brighter in the next decade. All this knowledge that we have around how to do it. And so maybe in 2022, someone who is a travel publisher, let's call her Cecilia, she rocks up onto the beach and she just got back from Europe because it's November in Europe and she wants to go to Mexico to get some warmth, you know? And she recognizes how amazing that catch is too. But she says, hey man, like, why don't you just flip on the camera and like share your narrative, share your amazing skills of bringing in these yellowfin tuna with the rest of us. You can start cash flowing the whole thing that way. You can still work just as much as you work now. But by connecting the power of the web with your skill set, your unique knowledge and experience, you can create a third path. And you know what? You don't only have to fish on this beach and you can send your kids to college too. And you know what? As I was researching this, this actually exists. This actually exists. There is... It's called a fisherman influencer. <laughs> there is a fisherman influencer. I could, it's, there's a Mexican abuelita, which I think it says Mexican mama. She's a grandma who has over 4 million YouTube subscribers. She's one of the top cooking YouTube channels in the world. Hola, mi gente. Bienvenidos a mi rancho. Hoy les voy a preparar un sabroso pozole rojo. Aquí tengo carne de puerco, una cabeza. She could just be cooking in subsistence fashion, feeding her family, but instead she's feeding the world the glory of Mexican cooking. And I'm sure she could make as much or as little money she wants off of that. And she has some now freedom, flexibility, and autonomy. And that's the third path. That's what this podcast is about. I'd like to know your thoughts on the parable of the Mexican fisherman. It's a remarkable idea. Everybody's heard this parable before, right? And I think you're right to say that there is a third option and we're like basically building the third option. So I think one of our goals for 2023 should be to rewrite the parable. That's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to descending on that beach and rewriting the parable in 2023. All right, Ian, last year we came on our annual review podcast and our theme was back to basics. We talked about having to 
build a staffing plan for our company. We talked about having to build a marketing budget. We talked about the fact that our new business, Dynamite Jobs, went from $5,000 in revenue in 2019 to $500,000 in 2021. And so that's a 10x growth over two years. And we continue to see a lot of growth this year. And so the overall theme we left that pod with was, as entrepreneurs, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a week and underestimate what we can do in a year. I think 2022 sort of underscored that lesson for us. So I guess I'd like to talk about that in the context of the top three positive themes of the year for us. And we'll talk about some of the things that we didn't do so well as well. So here's my first one, Ian. I would say the top theme of the year by far has been trying to scale. So our final numbers aren't in yet, but it looks like our growth this year is somewhere between 80 and 90%. We're at a $2 million run rate. And so the question I have for you is, having spoken with 15 companies doing the same, having felt it yourself, what are some of these important questions when you're going from sort of six figures to seven figures? And then how do things change when you get to that million dollar run rate and you're looking at sort of brave new world of trying to grow that cash flow or that business? Low to mid six figures, you're still trying to figure out product market fit. This is the case with us. And I actually think that like product market fit can go well into the seven figures, believe it or not, depending on like how big your business is and the industry and like what you're trying to achieve. I think a lot of companies, I can see this with Dynamite Jobs, like you're constantly trying to tweak your product to figure out what's going to hit basically. Yeah. Depending on your market. So it's not to say product market fit ends at six figures, but like sometimes I don't think it ends for a while, well into the seven figures. But certainly if you're making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year, you may have just touched down on like a product market fit idea. So very, very beginnings there. Ian, it feels like to me, the companies that haven't yet gotten to seven figures, their primary focus is essentially sales. So even if you don't have great product market fit, you can still kind of like just brute force sales your way into a million dollars of revenue. Yeah, agree. And just because you're selling doesn't mean that you have like product market fit or that it's a good solution. It just means that maybe you're good at talking to people and people need to buy things, right? So I ran into that a couple of times this week is like, our demand is like really high for whatever I'm selling. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Like we do a bunch of design work and it seems to work out, you know, yeah. one of those situations. And now, you know, I have all these contractors that I need to figure out how to manage. So not that it's easy, but you can trip your way to six figures these days with a little bit of a presence and a Calendly link. Well, how important is it to do it well when you say tripping? Like when people think about growing their business, like how organized should they be about it? I don't mean to sound like it's easy. Like these people, they have skill sets and they're good at what they do. What I mean though by that is like, it's relatively easy to do it one or two times, but then to create a repeatable process, whether it's marketing, operations, sales, that's where it starts to get hard. And mm -hmm. um, that's where people start to run into this issue of, hey, I've been running this business for three or four years. We've kind of plateaued at you know $400,000. I can't seem to get past that. Most of the time, that's because they don't have repeatable sales and marketing and even operations in their business. All right. So I'll tell you what I think the key thing to do is if you're stuck at the six figures and the key thing to do if you're stuck at a million and see if you agree or disagree. I would say if you're stuck in the six figures, everybody talks about sales and marketing but probably the reason you're stuck is because you haven't made one key hire. You need essentially someone to run operations with aggression so that you can focus on growth or vice versa. That seems to be a big blocker for me. And then the next step is that seven figures, if you're trying to get to multi seven figures, I'll say discipline. 
there's a, a level of kind of like gunslinging that can happen under seven figures that can get you there. But like, what is your organizational discipline that's going to grow from that point? I think a lot of us struggle with that because we maybe associate freedom with a lack of the sort of discipline we maybe experienced in school or in jobs or in the corporate life. Okay, so six figures, key hires. There's an interesting thing that I learned talking to all these companies. I had such a blast is that most of them have like multiple contractors mm. in their organization, even if they're at six figures, because everyone is essentially fractionalized at this point. It's you know? like the hive model of a company that we've been talking about for years, yeah. right? I'm seeing it like talking to people. Yeah, there's a couple of businesses that have well into the seven figures, 20 plus, you know, full time. I think that that naturally happens. Like, you want to get to a place where you have systems that are repeatable, people that have bought into the vision. Question though arises is like, what is your role in the business as a founder at six figures? I talked to one company this week and the founder was like pretty clear that they wanted to stay like on the technical side of things and then like hire around that. And I think that that like kind of clarity is great. We just saw Jason Cohen speak last week. And Jason like kind of has a similar trajectory, which is like he's always tried to stay in like a, a CTO or some kind of technical realm at his organization. He has like no yeah. direct hires or reports. He wants to do his own thing in this billion dollar company. And he's like yes. very clear about that. But one thing I'm curious about in that realm is like, when can you actually afford to do that? Like at what point or at what scale does a company need to be where you can pull back and say, hey, look, I'm just good at this. Right. I don't know the answer to that, but my guess is it's like a couple million where you can like pull back and be like, hey, I'm just the product designer here. This is what I really love to do. You know, one of the things that made me think about it, and again, we're talking about our top three positive themes of the year, trying to scale right now. Trying to scale has been a theme. We've been talking about it all year. One of my favorite things about DC Scale is, I mean, I don't know if this is a fair distinction, but not everybody who's joined specifically wants to like double their business next year. This is a safe space for non-growth of revenue on this podcast. Like, we want to grow our revenue next year. That's what we want to do because Ian and I have certain financial goals we're trying to meet in the next few years. That's different from somebody who wants more free time to start a side business. That's different from somebody who's maybe stressed out by the day-to-day and wants more clarity and calm. One of the things I love about these, quote, scale processes is that they can serve so many different aims in a business. And that to me is true lifestyle business and freedom. So pretty cool. We have groups who are basically crazy ambitious, like let's go to the moon types. And then you have types that are crazy ambitious about free time. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I talked to somebody today, Dan, and they basically said, Hey, look, I have a clear path to $10 million. Don't want to do it. I am very comfortable here. Now, would I like a little bit more operational excellence? Yes. Would I like a little bit more uh, this and that, yes. But do I actually want to go to $10 million? No. It's getting back to the Mexican parable. It's like, there's a certain quality of life that might decrease. Like if I have to be in New York selling my cans of fish every day, then I don't get to be with my family. And I think a lot of listeners of the show, if you're fortunate enough to make it to that kind of tier, some people start walking back the other way. As founders of remote companies, we all face hiring challenges, like hiring today instead of next week or next quarter, scaling our teams quickly, and even just defining what we want in a candidate, where to find them, how much to pay them, and how to recruit them. There's a lot of questions. Hiring's complicated. 
but it doesn't need to be with remotefirstrecruiting.com. It's a service from our team where we help founders like you solve these hiring hangups. Even if you're not hiring today, you gotta take advantage of our 15 minute free strategy call. It's with our senior recruiter, Greg Valentine. He's not a sales guy. He's a senior recruiter, industry expert, and he's helped place hundreds of remote candidates and companies just like yours. He can discuss with you the patterns we're seeing in the marketplace, share with you case studies, and talk about how you can build a rock solid hiring strategy. Hiring doesn't need to be hard. Let our team do the heavy lifting. TMBA listeners, take advantage of this strategy call. It's a simple way to grow a better business. So head on over to our site, remotefirstrecruiting.com, where we believe hiring the right talent is the best way to grow a great remote business. Schedule a call with our team today at remotefirstrecruiting.com. All right. So number one, trying to scale. Number two, I wrote this one down, getting on an airplane, getting on an airplane. I just want to underline, this is a positive theme of ours throughout the year because we all run these remote businesses. We were shut down for the pandemic. I just want to underline how much decay there is in communication. I don't care how much zoom in you're doing, how many PowerPoints you flip up. The lag between at the top level, it's co-working and co-living. That's when you really communicate with people. You're in the office, you're at the water cooler, you're living together in the same city or in the same house or in the same bed. That's fine. We're not judging here. You can co however you want. Then meeting, that's like the next level of decay. Then it's phone. Then it goes down to email. Then it goes down to marketing copy. The distance between co-living and marketing copy I don't know if you guys are feeling what I'm laying down here, but I've been writing a lot of marketing copy lately and having those experiences in person with people where you really understand what you're trying to communicate and what messages do transfer is invaluable. It's invaluable to, as Steve Blank old school would say, get out of the office, press some flesh, meet people. And uh, this has been invaluable in our marketing efforts and copy couple opportunities for us to get on the plane, me and you spending the summer together. Look, we live in the same city, but actually living in the same building and sitting in the same office has 10 out of 10 value, Ian. You know, like it was important for us to be together that long. I saw someone on in the Twitter verse the other uh, week and they were mentioning, who are you more scared of? Three remote founders versus three founders in the same office building. Yeah. And I think three founders in the same office building, at least for the first couple of months and maybe for three months a year, right? It doesn't have to be all the time co-living in the bed together, but uh, definitely saw the value of that, Dan, last summer in Spain. And certainly we're going to repeat that again next year. I was talking to a friend who was having crisis in his business. And what's the number one lever I'm going to pull? Plane ticket. Getting on a plane, sitting down direct with your clients, direct with your partner. That is the way to have the ultimate leverage. And that's really worked for us this year. The most important week for me this year was DCBKK. And that was in person to the max with the whole team, seeing it through the team's eyes, talking directly with the community. It really helped to forge our thinking. So number two, positive theme of the year, getting on an airplane. And then number three, being more aggressive. Part of the purpose of having team alignment and solid vision and solid goals is that we can launch more products, 
we can know to get on that plane and that it's worth it and that it's not just a some jet lag, that there's some reason to do it, you know, that we have a clear aim that we've agreed to, we've written it down, and we're just a little bit hungrier to find the answers. It's pretty easy to be the person who's like, lets the world get in the way. But you can be the world, you know, you can get on that plane and make it happen. And I think that having some clarity around all these things has enabled us to be more aggressive about the sorts of moves we're making. So you left out mine here, Dan, which I don't blame you because I didn't tell you until just now, but I'm going to add a fourth one. This was supposed to only we be have three. We have for this, by the way. Uh, That's well, right. I'll reference you down to the HR office where you can be re-educated. <laughs> Number four for me, positive themes of the year is alignment. And most of that is alignment between me and you. And then it follows down throughout the whole team. You and I uh, spent a lot of time this summer kind of getting on the same page in terms of like the projects that we were going to work on the things that we're going to approach, and then the way that we're going to interact with our team. And I think we've been pretty successful in that. On a call not too long ago, on a fr- one of our Friday calls, Dan, you kind of rolled out this plan that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, but basically one goal, one vision, one customer. And I think that that call will probably go down as one of the all-time, at least in my mind, important calls in our organization, where we basically found alignment between ourselves and our team. And then to hear our team recite that back to us several times over the last couple of weeks has been really powerful. Most uh, coaches and business gurus will tell you that it is your job as a founder to share your vision and to repeat it often. So I hope that we repeat that often, kind of did it on that one call, but then we're going to revisit it several times over the next couple of years to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So this idea for me of alignment, I think was really important asking people when they're working on something, if it's part of the goal. This is all things that I think are very important and something that we've started to execute on much more clearly this year. Yeah, Ian, I would say this, like one of the things I want to reflect on that is I might venture this is like, I don't think me and you are great leaders or really know what that means exactly. I think we're honest. I think we're ambitious. Like we're thoughtful. We like, try to do the bet right thing at the right time, you know, and we care about our staff and we care about our customers, we're kind of hard on our sleeve. But I don't know, I think we can up the leadership game a little bit. And a lot of that is about figuring out these concepts and ideas that scale through the organization, create alignment, create empowerment and autonomy in each individual actor to know that they're like online and doing meaningful things on a day-to-day basis. That level of leadership is... I don't know. It's a tough nut to crack. It's it's a tough nut to crack. I'll give you an example. Like me and you are the kind of guys that like can convince people to go to a certain restaurant like in the moment. We're like, oh, dude, we, you got to go to the sushi restaurant. Like it's the best, you know, like <laughs> you're never going to forget it. And they go and they're like so thankful. What a good leader does is give people a framework for identifying the best restaurant every time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we're at. I think that's what we got to work on. So what didn't we do well? We didn't do so well is let's talk about um, our job board revenue. Although it grew by percentage pretty impressively, like almost 100% year over year, it actually didn't meet our expectations. We had a lot more expectations for our job board revenue. That's dynamitejobs.com. The job board, there's two sides of that business, right, Dan? There's the service side of the business, which we broke out this year, remote first recruiting. And then there's the job board side. And I think couple of things are at play here, basically, is like uh, hiring has like slowed down a lot for a lot of companies. Yeah. They're just like, hey, not sure what 2023 is going to bring. Interest rates are high. 
I don't want to bring on any more overhead. Like, I just want to wait and see how this thing plays out. Certain percentage of people doing that. Another percentage of people that are actually cutting their staff. Which, by the way, when you think about it, it's kind of interesting because the unemployment rate, or at least the stated unemployment rate, isn't going up. So these people must be getting jobs somewhere. Anyways, I'm not into macroeconomics, but hiring in general has slowed down a bit for uh, dynamite jobs. That being said, I think we focused on a lot of the wrong things in the last year, and we're trying to correct that. So when I say focus on a lot of the wrong things on the job board, I was feature crazy, Dan. And our team was feature crazy for a long time, trying to figure out like the best features for this job board. And I think what we've done is we built a pretty powerful piece of software that very few people use. And <laughs> because of that, we probably didn't talk to our customers enough, right? So this year, I think we're on track to scale back on the feature set because it is a product that works for a lot of people and kick it up on some of the things that we basically know we should have been doing all along that we haven't been doing. So I had a bit of like a Kevin Costner syndrome here. Like someone's like, if you build it, they will come, you know, but like the farm team, they're just like real slow to get on the bus and play (laughs) some ball. So I feel your frustration, which is like, we've spent a bunch of energy on this thing. It's not growing fast enough for our input. So this year, we're going to focus on some other things. It's just really frustrating when your effort doesn't match up to the outputs, you know? And the reality is, is like, that's what entrepreneurship is about always, is like figuring out where those levers are and how to change them. Most of the times when you're getting started, your outputs are crap and your inputs are enormous. And then when it continues to go that way for a while, you got to kind of change course. And so I've written down here, you know, We've got SEO stuff coming down the pike. We've got a lot of partnerships. We've got a lot of positioning and dog fooding for recruiting firms. So one of the best clients of dynamitejobs.com is our own recruiting company. Now we use Dynamite Jobs all the time because it's a great place to source candidates. It's a great candidate database of over 200,000 people. We've got pre-qualified candidates. So really now we have a lot of discussions with other recruiting firms that we're working with. So Talking to more people, seeing what they find valuable is definitely something we're going to be recalibrating for in the new year. I want to say one more thing about Dynamite Jobs before we move on. This was a mistake that we made. Back to this one customer, one vision, one goal. Kind of had it in my head, Dan, especially this year, that we were going to go find companies that hired more. Like As customers, like we're focused too much on founders who are our core audience. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. But I'm going to go out and I'm going to find these mid-market companies that hire hundreds of people a year. Well, it turns out it's really hard and expensive to get in those people's ear. And I think that was a mistake. Basically, we burned a bunch of time and money this year, Dan, trying to go find these companies. And yeah, a couple of them signed on, but not at the rate that we would have hoped. So again, getting back to our goal and our vision is like continue to focus on founders who are our core audience, do a really good job for them, And then these mid-market companies, as we found out the other day, Dan, when one contacted us with like 1,500 employees, they will find you. And I'm calling this, and I got to come up with a better name for this, but this is like the Nike strategy. Like we should be making shoes for LeBron and then overweight guys like you and me will buy them because they look (laughs) cool. And you think you want to be a LeBron, right? Yeah, 100%. I like it. The Nike LeBron strategy coined here. You heard it here first. A couple other things. I feel like we didn't do a great job, and this comes back to the leadership thing of helping team members to drive outsized results. Obviously, like, you know, I think that's being multipliers. As managers, a great book called Multipliers that we read this year. We'll talk about it on the future in the pod. But the idea is essentially 
it's one thing to get the best out of yourselves, but how do you get the best out of everybody on the team? That's something that I think we can improve on. I think we can improve on our marketing. Uh, the best thing is the worst thing is the quote I have here. We told ourselves a year ago we would invest in marketing, but the reality is our marketing investments are working pretty well. And so then it's hard to, you know, you fix the squeaky wheel kind of thing rather than doubling down on what's going really well, which is things like this podcast and our newsletter. So I think it would be really cool if we can find some space and some budget to improve our marketing in the coming year. One thing I want to put a call out to the listenership here is um, a lot of people are having success uh, cutting up their podcasts and like doing shorts on Instagram and YouTube. So if there's anybody out there that has that skill set and is interested in working with us in 2023, that's something that we're going to explore. So we have officially started to record videos of us talking right now for better or worse. For worse. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, trim my beard and like put on my best shirt. I got a haircut within the last two weeks. It's nice. Thank you. So this is all in preparation for 2023, cutting up some video. All right, Ian. So we talked about what didn't go well. Let's talk about our goals for 2023. I think the three things I wrote down are clarity, calm, communications. You know, we want to grow with clarity and calm. Our revenue target is about 40% growth in the next year. We achieve between 80 and 90% this year. I don't know, we're talking about actual more real dollars and we're installing a lot of new processes and products. So we have a 40% growth target. I think that keeps us maybe disciplined in terms of our expenses. But, you know, if you hit a flyer, you hit a flyer. We'll take 100% growth if that comes our way. And then like you mentioned, having one vision, one customer, one team, our entire organization exists to help ambitious lifestyle businesses become healthier. We're not serving different types of clients. So our predictions for 2023. Oh boy. Here's where we sound like idiots or geniuses five years from now. Number one, crypto gets more useful. Last year, we talked about crypto all the time on the podcast I think the mass majority of people who are interested in crypto are interested in it for investment reasons, for speculation reasons. But I still am extremely bullish on crypto as a defining technology of our generation, that I think crypto will be money in 10 years. And I'm hoping that all the scandal and the hype chills out this year and we get back to building useful applications for what has an incredible potential in society. It's yin and yang here. You got one optimist and one pessimist. So (laughs) my prediction, Dan, for 2023 is that crypto will continue to be somewhat of a Ponzi. The Fed coin, they're experimenting with the Fed coin here. So I see this as like a way to control people the same way that they've done in other countries, whether it's through social scores or whatnot. I see a massive wealth redistribution happening potentially because of that. So I don't know what's going to happen with crypto. I do know that so far it's shown itself to be somewhat of a Ponzi scheme. And I know a lot of people that have made a ton of money off it and, and good for them. The technology itself, it does seem interesting. It does seem promising. Like the next thing on this list, I am worried about the hands in which are touching it. Yeah, we talked about ChatGPT, probably the biggest product launch in the tech industry this year. A lot of anxious minds around it, but I actually think in the coming year, ChatGPT will cure anxiety Instead of create it, we'll be building in-house apps. It is interesting. Do you buy the SaaS product or do you build a tool in-house? We love building things in-house in our company. Zap to Airtable to Slack to Stripe. What if we can just build stronger, more interesting integrations, bespoke? 
what if as a writer and a marketer, I can have an intelligent EA, someone to help me clarify drafts, to do research. I think it'll cure a lot of anxiety and a lot of more one-person million-dollar businesses coming down the pike in the new year. I think that's the most interesting thing that I've also recognized, Dan, which is like it's going to enable people to get so much more done. You have this technology that's basically in some ways like limitless, in some ways like competes with Google. That's what, I, when I, what I've been playing with it. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't need Google. Like if this thing gets like better, like I don't need Google anymore. Yeah, don't send me a website that does it. Send me a summary of the top three best things to do in Portland, Oregon. Or, or what's better, like send me a 250 word summary of Friedrich Nietzsche's, you know, eternal return or whatever. And like, as a researcher, as a writer, as a marketer, these things have tremendous potential. Yeah, I was just going to say on that note, like, sorry to Cliff Notes, right? Like, they're definitely going out of business. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three, everyone starts a YouTube channel. I would vote on the number one hot marketing channel next year. Lately, it's been building out Twitter accounts. I think it's going to be YouTube accounts for B2B stuff in 2023. It's amazing to me, Dan, that like we're still like relatively early in YouTube. By the way, Google owns YouTube. Why, when you search a video in Google, is it so awful? But when you search in YouTube, it's so great. Like, why have those two things not been connected? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if you look at Google's income, amongst all the big tech companies, they're the most one product company. And their product is search. And they're not selling search results. They're selling search ads. I think that's your answer. Yeah. And that's why there's like the same three products come up no matter what you search, basically. But in terms of uh, starting a YouTube channel, Dan, it still seems very early. People in the community are experimenting with uh, shorts. So that'll be interesting. It'll especially be interesting if TikTok gets banned in the United States, which legislators are speaking about now. Question, how do you make riots in America in 2023? Answer, ban TikTok. One final thing we wrote down here, Ian, is I think the internet crowd, uh, classify us and listeners of this show, we're the internet crowd, we'll continue to eat the legacy business world with automation, capital, and the older generation's capitulation. So you see these hybrid models. We've been talking about the remote local thing where you're doing local services businesses, but you're running them 100% remote. But I also think just the assetization of small business in general through brokers and platforms like the Empire Flippers and microacquire and stuff like this, that I think that wave will go into traditional businesses, boomer businesses, if you will. I think we'll continue to see opportunities in more traditional cash flow businesses using the internet and software as our edge and maybe a little bit of chat GPT market research as well. Yeah, it seems really powerful, Dan, to like basically bring technologies to these old school businesses that we all need, tree trimming, plumbing, et cetera. Seen a lot of like the innovation come from like our generation and the younger generation in terms of like lead gen. It seems like a lot of these companies are adopting like modern lead gen tools to uh, fuel these businesses. I thought, although uh, that's a fine idea, you had the best idea the other day on our bike ride, which was to start a brokerage that's called Sell My Dad's Boomer Business or My Mom's Boomer Business. I'm not sure what it's called, but like, they're about to dump this plumbing business on me and like I want nothing to do with it. So I'm going to help them sell it and like get them their couple million bucks so they can buy their house in Florida or whatever it is. Those are our predictions for 2023. We want to hear yours. What are your big plans? If you're listening to this right now and you don't have a business and you're not going to try and scale it or make it healthier or better next year, Ian and I both say the same thing. Start a B2B business. Start a B2B services business. Start a productized service. If all this sounds complicated and confusing, 
monetize your skill set through your laptop to business owners like us. There's tremendous amounts of opportunity in this community because we are all growing. There are more remote businesses out there and they need quality B2B services. Choose your favorite marketing channel, your favorite operational process, or even just your favorite software and go do that on behalf of a growing company. That's the best way to get in the game in 2023. If you want to do a deep dive this holiday on some of our favorite episodes, we have posted some of Ian and I's favorite deep dives in the TMBA this year on this blog post. Just click through on your phone. Also, I haven't mentioned at the top, but there's also a DC scale interest list posted at this podcast blog post. Just click through on your phone and let us know a little bit about your business. You'll be the first to know about DC scale. And also, purchase our paperback. Makes a great holiday gift. Recently got a new review. I read the entire book on a Sunday afternoon and it was one of the best things I did this week. Not year, week, I'll take it. This book is well-written, entertaining, and packed with thought-provoking questions, stories, and concepts to help plan for a successful exit in your business. So yeah, thanks Byron C for reading the book and the paperback's now available. You can also email us and we'll send you a free PDF copy. The TMBA is here for all your year-end reflection needs. Any parting shots here, Ian? I think this is the last time. We're going to do like a retrospective episode next week. So this is sort of the last time we're going to long form speak with the audience in 2022. Cheers to a uh, good ending to your 2022 and see you in 2023. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.